Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing something that has fired my imagination almost from the very beginning, action figures. In 1959, Mattel co-founder Ruth Handler introduced the Barbie fashion doll for girls. With an easily produced plastic, posable figurine that featured interchangeable outfits and accessories, Barbie was such a runaway hit that an effort to replicate it in a toy for boys was sure to follow. A few years later, Stan Weston, an acquaintance of Barbie's creator, pitched a 12-inch soldier doll to Hasbro that could wear just as many different outfits as Barbie and traded on the still strong public support for the early days of the Vietnam War. The toy? G.I. Joe. Hasbro's VP of Development, Don Levine, oversaw G.I. Joe's production but figured that marketing a doll to boys wouldn't sit well with gender norms of the early 60s, so he called G.I. Joe an action figure, and thus a new toy category was born. Today, there are so many different kinds of action figures, it's hard to pin down a definition that encompasses all of them. But for the most part, when we're talking about action figures, we're talking about a poseable toy figurine that may or may not feature joint articulation, is usually made of plastic, often, but not always, depicts characters from some other entertainment franchise, and usually encourages its, its user to imagine exciting adventure scenarios with them during play. Action figures had a golden age during the 1970s and 80s, when a certain movie about a galaxy far, far away completely supercharged the popularity of action figures in general. And as we moved into the 1990s and 2000s, the first kids who grew up with the original G.I. Joe dolls developed the cross-section of income and nostalgia to support a robust collector's market for action figures, past, present, and future. Before long, entire manufacturers were turning out action figures not to play with, but to collect, display, and even treat as investments. And with the advent of online retailing and auctions, people can reacquire long-lost action figures easier than ever before. According to toy industry data, action figure sales in the U.S. alone has averaged about $1.5 billion each year for the last decade, fueled in large part by the growing collectibles market and by best-selling female action figures, thanks to rising female representation in action and superhero movies. It's all about half the sales volume that dolls have as a category, however, which shows that unfortunately, gender identity remains a pretty strong force in the ideation, manufacture, and marketing of toys in general. Let's hope that that artificial division continues to dissolve. Action figures and dolls really should be for everyone. But whether they're bought for play or display, action figures are still delivering a lot of fun to people around the world. There's something I love wholeheartedly, and there's something I'm really excited to talk about today. So let's get started. With me today, is real American hero, Chris Crenshaw. Knowing is half the battle. Commander of the Battlestar Pegasus, Tom Hespos. Hey, everybody. How are you? <laughs> Straight out of Cybertron, Joe Pace. Kill all our one. And our special guest, who came free with four proofs of purchase, Sean Moynihan. Taking your first step into a larger world. <laughs> Perfect. Everyone, welcome. So I think, you know, Sean, I'd like to start with you. Sean and I go way back, and Sean shares our deep, abiding love for all things Star Wars. But, you know, Sean uh, has been part of the Star Wars toy collecting community for a while, and I knew when we did this episode, we couldn't do this without talking about Star Wars. And I couldn't talk about Star Wars without bringing Sean in. So, Sean, I'd like to hand things over to you. Talk to us about, you know, what it is you love about Star Wars action figures so much. Why do they speak to you? Why do you still love them? And is there a particular moment in your Star Wars kind of action figure experience that really stands out as like kind of a good crystalline moment for, man, this is why I love this stuff. Hi, Bill. Yeah, hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I, 
First of all, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, I, I always like to say that I know what I know about this hobby, but you know, I there are there are good friends of mine, you know, who are in this hobby with me, guys who I know who know a, a, a thousand times more than I do. Who <laughs> have like spent time in in Cincinnati and and have uh, you know have hung out with, uh, with you know with, who know the guys from Kenner personally, but but I'm I'm happy to talk about you know what I do know and and I guess to start with what it means to me. I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan because I've been a fan since I was seven. It's very, very difficult to separate your love of Star Wars and love of collectibles, of Star Wars collectibles. You know, it, 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 if you're a, a diehard consumer of Star Wars for as long as, you know, long as a lot of us have been, I think it's very difficult to separate your love of the toys and your love of the franchise. It, those two are sort of intrinsically linked, which is always George Lucas's dream. <laughs> was to, right. <laughs> to, to get, it was to half the point. All of right. it, you, know? you get them. <laughs> and I went willingly, you know. And when I when I saw I saw Star Wars in 1977 when I when I was seven years old, and just could you imagine seeing Star Wars at a better age than seven? And my mind was just completely blown to pieces. The idea of having you know, Star Wars toys was just, you know, because up until then, you know, we played with Migos and Green Army Men and, and stuff like that. I think, I think like the Batman and Robin Migos were, were about as uh, far as they got, you know, with, yeah. playing with, with, a, with an action figure, you know, but by that point, because I wasn't into G.I. Joe's. Joe's were cool, but that wasn't, it wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, just like it's, it, it's amazing to think that there was, there was a world before Star Wars. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there was, there was a time, you know, before Star Wars toys. You know, in '77, Kenner didn't sign the deal with Lucasfilm to to make Star Wars toys until a month before the film came out. Yeah. So in, in April of '77, so really all they could get out in short order were like puzzles and some other things that they were able to you know churn out pretty quickly like just yeah. sort of like label swapping on, on you know on stuff that they already had like an electric toothbrush and you know <laughs> bot bags and stuff like that all that is cool but i think action figures were really where it was at and the fact that they actually sold what was basically an empty box for, for christmas that in in the, in the christmas of, of 1977 it was the famous uh um the uh, the early bird with, early bird uh, right right <laughs> which for 16 bucks it, it was a lot in in yeah. that's, that's 1977 dollars <laughs> yeah and, and i remember today. And i remember seeing it and i think we were like in Derns or or like some store that like in jersey in the woodbridge mall where like you wouldn't expect to see a lot of toys but it was christmas time and and yeah i remember seeing it i remember seeing the early bird kit and my mom saying at the time like no that's that doesn't even have any toys in it you're not getting that you know <laughs> Those toys will be out in the spring. And she was right. You know, they, they yeah. came a couple months later. But I love, love Star Wars toys. I love Star Wars action figures to this day. The majority of, of Star Wars fanatics, you know, sort of aged out of it, you know, after Return of the Jedi. You know, the line sort of waned. Kenner, it was still Kenner then, reignited the line around like 94, 95 with the power of the Force 2. And, and I've, I've still, I still collect now. I'm right there with everybody else, chomping at the bit for new yeah. when new figures come out. I still I still get that same same charge. I still get excited <laughs> yeah. about it, and I, and I love that. I love that people who are in this hobby who collect modern are still just as excited now to buy new toys. Amazing collectors, incredibly cool, you know, people in this hobby who only collect vintage and and that's their thing. And they have prototypes and and you know first shots and 
you know, all this stuff that is just these mind-blowing collections. But yeah. what, what I love about Star Wars collecting is like everybody's collection is different. Yeah. You know, you, you all yeah. like, you all You collect. can't have it all. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> almost, almost Steve yeah, you, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing about Star Wars is so cool is that it, there is a simultaneous nostalgia collecting vein and a modern collecting vein. And like you could be buying toys that are coming out right now and playing with them out of the box and also still hunting down stuff that when you were a kid, you know, was around and, and just, you know, you know, getting it as, as part of a kind of modern archaeological expedition to, just to find it, make sure it's, you know, it's in your collection and preserved. And I don't know too many of the toy lines that really still have that, that accessibility for a collector. Yeah. I, I feel bad for younger people coming into the, into the hobby now because vintage Star Wars stuff is, is, is insanely expensive. Yeah. I mean, even, sure. even just loose stuff, you know, like a loose yeah. figure is, you know, far more expensive than it was yeah. even, you know, even six, seven years ago. Area for entry is pretty pretty high. Would you mind uh, describing your personal collection briefly? Uh, if we're talking about just toys, my collection is a mix of basically a lot of the toys I grew up with got saved. Thank God. Credit my mom for that because she she put she put away my my Darth Vader case, you know, for Darth Vader collection. Uh-huh. Full of mine too. So mine long. too. It was one of the few things she saved. <laughs> all, saved all that stuff that my imperial troop transport you know still to this day my favorite vehicle how cool is it to see how cool is it to see that show up in the mandalorian by the way oh that, sh- that thing God. that thing rolled up i almost blood almost spurted from my nose i was so excited to see it that was, that, that was i remember how it sounded when you hit the buttons on the top <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, laser blast and everything yeah, that, exactly. when i saw that thing i lost my mind yeah <laughs> I was like, I can't believe they did this for me. Unfortunately, I don't think that survived the, you know, like when I was 15, I went through a, hey, we got our hands on a bag of M80s phase, you know, everything <laughs> went up, you know. We turned into the neighbor in Toy Story. Where? We're starting to impinge on my territory here, Tom. For us, the, the trash compactor scene in Star Wars so evocative that we turned the garage door into the trash compactor. And basically, like when we decided that, we were retiring figures. They got the garage door treatment. Just like they just stand them up and just slam it down on them. And I remember watching Lando Carizian explode. I mean, just, just arms and legs everywhere. It's like, oh, poor Lando deserved better. How my could brother, you my hurt brother, Lando? My, my brother's like, no, he doesn't. Smash. The thing is, if people like you hadn't done things like that, then Sean's collection wouldn't be as valuable as it is now. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sorry, Sean. So so walk us through the rest of your collection real quick. But what? But but the, but on Joe's point though, there. Kenner sold in in 1978 alone. Kenner sold 26 million Star Wars action figures in, in 1978. Think about that's, that for a minute. And 25 so million of them got blown up. Yeah. And, and, and the line from and 90 of them were mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And between 78 and I guess around like 85, when uh, Droids and Ewoks finally petered out. I mean, they Kenner had sold. It was, I, I, and, I've, and I've tried to nail this number down over the years, but from different sources. But from what I understand, it's at least 300 million action figures. We're, we're I, don't, I don't doubt it. I mean, I, 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 they were, it was such an inescapable toy line for so long. It was, it was just yeah. everywhere. And it's, it, it, just, it just crowded out so much other stuff because it was like... And there were better. certain things that everybody had to have. Well, yeah, you know. Just to put that in perspective, there are only, what, 370 million people in the United States right now. So at, at some point, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there were more Star Wars figures that had been produced than 
American and people in the country. As it should be. As it should be. Exactly. I'm okay with that, by the way. That, that's yeah. like you know, that's like the world's largest producer of tires is Lego. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting back I mean, on board right. with capitalism yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, very, yeah, so my collections, it's it's yeah. it's a lot of my my own vintage shows. You know, when I got back into collecting, yeah. you know, around like uh, 93, 94. Yeah. You know, I started going back and filling in. You you still filling in the holes. Sure. You know, in, in your collection, and, and you get nostalgic for weird things, and all of a sudden, yeah. it's, oh wait, I need this now. <laughs> and and then you, you know, so it's a combination of that and. Uh, modern toys, you know, sometimes the way you collect changes. And I'm sure, I'm sure, as I'm sure it is, you know, for you guys over time, like where you go through phases where like you're an opener for a while and then, you know, maybe you're not, you know, for, yeah. for a time. I'm an opener. <laughs> I can't even understand that folks who keep stuff in the box, like where does that stuff even come from? I played with everything I had. I can't imagine yeah. sticking something. Yeah away on a shelf someplace and just not opening it like that was just never an option yeah, like, yeah, not reading a comic book well yeah. the thing about star wars toys i mean like that you know the, the the majority of stuff to your point tom that exists now is is loose is not carded yeah. i mean yeah, there's right, a finite amount of carded stuff and that that's yeah. partly the reason why you know values have just skyrocketed over yeah. the past like you know seven eight years because you just yeah I did buy a bunch of figures for my kids, like when from the loose market, like on eBay and stuff when my kids were born, because I wanted them to have some of the same stuff that I had to play with. Back then, it would seem relatively cheap. I, this was only, you know, 10 years ago. I want to say well, like when Kate was born, I, you know, bought a bunch of loose figures. But like, I did see some of the carded stuff, as you call it. And, oh, my God. I, like, the, 10 years ago, it was astronomical. Yeah. I, yeah. I like to call those inaction figures. <laughs> so so sean Mike, I, i've got two questions for you one is what do you consider to be the crown jewel of your collection like as a collector the thing that you were the most psyched that you have in your collection or maybe it represented like oh like it was like it was it was your eldorado you could you didn't ever thought you'd find it you did or, or or just or it could just be something that maybe isn't considered super valuable in the broader thing but to you it mean, really means something that's in your collection what, what's that actually little... has mark hamill in his garage yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got to interview Mark Hamill in. in uh, oh, I knew he was going to bring this up, man. You, uh, God, that, that's a whole other story. And I'll, I'll call that a setup. He had, him, he had him on the phone for like an hour. I couldn't believe. Oh, God, that's a whole other company. It was it was it was almost almost two hours we talked. Oh, and the amazing you know, thing was, and this this is in my newspaper days. The amazing thing was, this was when he was he was uh, promoting Black Pearl. The, the his comic, uh, comic book, right? The vigilante comic that he did. Yeah. That he was trying to have made into a movie at the time. Press agent or whatever said, you know, Mark really doesn't like to talk about Star Wars. So, yeah. Like, and I was like, <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all want things, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it's like, you know, oh, I, I, hi, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm here to interview Christ. Yeah, mm. he doesn't like talking about forgiveness. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. but, 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 but then what we did up talking about the Batman animated series for, for like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, promoting Village of the Damned. You know, I mean, these things happen, yeah. I, I goofed on him about Corvette Summer, I, I, and, 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 he, and he said, Hey, Corvette Summer is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> So. Yes, it is, Mark. No, it is. It's no Star Wars. Sorry to bring it up, but it is a good movie. 
<laughs> Get on a Tashi station and pick up some copies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the movie even bootleggers just walk past, walk past. No, but you have a particular crown jewel of your collection that really it really stands out to you that you just you're so glad it's there. You would never part with it. That kind of thing. I, I'd say my just my whole vintage collection of, of figures that that my mom was you know smart enough to hold on to. I mean, yeah. to be able to to come back to this back to this hobby that I love so much a, after whatever six or seven years of, of really just kind of forgetting about it and, and moving on to other things to come back and be able to like rediscover that joy be able mm-hmm. to open up that Darth Vader collector's case like full of like my original you know collection from when I was a kid it was like yeah you you know you, you can't put a price tag on that I, yeah. I, jealous. We always, collectors always talk about the, the one thing you'd save if, if you had if god forbid you had a fire yeah um, like my original 3po and r2 that have, that have been you know beat to hell and, and have gone in the pool and in the and in the dirt and went and in the sand and you know everything else they're they're both they both look like they've been to hell and back but you know what those toys are loved yeah yeah, and that, yeah. that's so great. That, the Pixar great. stuff right there. That's what I. That's what I would say. Yeah, huge shout out to your mom and all the moms who actually preserved the stuff from our childhood rather than simply just chucked it out in the trash because those stories are so legion of like, oh, I had X and Y until my mom threw it away. So to all those moms who who held back in that impulse to get rid of the old crap their kids are not playing with anymore, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> the world's a better place because of you. Of like you know, my dad still talks about his you know Mickey Mantle and Millie and Willie Mays cards, baseball cards that when he left to go to Vietnam, his mom cleaned out the attic and got rid of. And I'm like, well, that, and that's why I didn't go to Georgetown. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. So, excellent, excellent. Is there a real recent addition to your collection that you're particularly happy to have that that, that, that kind of reminds you like why you like to keep doing this? Hasbro has has a line called the Black Series now. He's like uh, six inch figures. And nice. this, is, this is a um, 1999 Comic-Con, uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. They took the modern Black Series Boba Fett and they, they painted it in vintage Kenner colors. <laughs> and I, recently, I was, I was, and you know, I, you always have a, a price that in your head that you, you know, you have a ceiling, you know, that, that you want yeah. to pay. And I was hunting this for like maybe a year and a half and I finally got one for what I wanted to pay. So Nice, nice. Be still my beating heart. That thing looks beautiful. Oh and my honestly, gosh, nobody cool. needs two kidneys anymore. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so surprising how many body parts you're willing to let go just to get the things you really want. You know. So <laughs> Sean, a, a different question that I would ask is, what's out there that you have to have? Like, what's top oh. of, of list for you? What's what's the you know cross of Coronado that you're that you got to find? You know, I think every every red blooded American kid who grew up and loving star wars figures wants a rocket firing boba fett <laughs> yeah I, I i have i have resigned myself to the fact that i will probably never own one and that's okay because because now they they go for again i mean talk about you know finite these were these were just the, the the story of the rocket firing boba fett which i'm sure you all know is that thanks Battlestar galactica <laughs> oh, we'll get to it we'll get to it <laughs> Thanks, Battlestar Galactica. It got ruined for everybody, and they, they took the rocket firing uh, mechanism away. But but there were like a lot of test samples in it that you know the, a lot of the engineers had in Cincinnati, and th- there are maybe I think there's 
between like a dozen and 20 samples, I think, that are known to exist oh. in different yeah. dates, like, it, you know, whether they're painted or non-painted, and a lot of them aren't painted, and they, they go for around like 20 grand. Wow. Now, you know, so. I'm I, surprised I, there are a lot of fakes out there. I'm surprised there aren't a lot. I mean, it's not hard now. I'm sure there are. You know, yeah. you, you just don't. You, but anybody who's going to spend that kind of money these days on a rocket fet has got to be savvy enough to do the due diligence and have yeah and have friends in the in the hobby yeah and i say in the hobby it's like there's a very very tight-knit very very awesome community of people you know who collect you know vintage and modern and and, you know are are just deeply passionate about it and i'm i'm very very lucky and thankful to be part of that uh, that not the crowd that'll pay a million dollars for a wu-tang one-off Somebody's always got to bring Martin <laughs> Shkreli into it. You know? <laughs> I hate that guy. I hate that guy. So, so Tom, your moment of truth is about Battlestar Galactica, since Tom, and, and since that, you know, that's that's intimately tied into how it basically ruined everything for everyone. Um, <laughs> why don't you walk us through? Basically, how did it how did it be, become your moment of truth? Like, what do you love about this toy line so much? Um, and and talk us through, you know, your your relationship with it. I mean, I loved Battlestar Galactica just, you know, on television. That was like can't miss TV for me growing up. And oh my God, I loved it so much. It was just, I, I went back and watched the whole series and I'm like, I can't believe I liked this, but it was just so cool back then. I, like, it, it really was. Oh, it was pretty man, cool. Back I then. loved it to death. Like, I just like the Starbuck Apollo thing. Like, I just ate that up. You know, when they came out with the toys, of course, it was all over my parents. And like, th- there was one holiday where I just cleaned up. I mean, I got the uh, Colonial Viper. I-, I got a bunch of the figures. I got the Cylon Raider. And I got that scarab thing that they just sort of made up for the, yeah, the, the missile launcher. Vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. It had like the front of the Colonial Viper on it. And they're like, yeah, that's a new vehicle. Like, doesn't appear anywhere in the series, but no, yeah. it's a new vehicle. <laughs> so yeah, I cleaned up, and I, I, that's you know when I first realized like we really need a standard for action figures because like the action, the standalone action figures like my Adama and my Starbuck like would not fit in the vehicles because they had shorter like two inch pilots in the in the uh, Colonial Viper, and I'm like, well, why did they do this? And then like. <laughs> It made me remember like Space 1999. They did the same thing. They had these little two inch figures, and I'm trying to cram my Star Wars figures in so I can have, you know, a little cross, uh, you know, um, <laughs> adventure. And yeah. just you, you couldn't get it done because nothing would fit. But uh, like Battlestar Galactica had that within its own line. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell? But like, I didn't care. It was just so much fun to play with those toys, particularly since they had the little rocket launchers. Like you could pull the Salon Raiders wing wings out and it would expose these two little missile launchers and pew, pew, pew. two little things would just come so flying out cool. like this is so cool it was so cool and, and you know i, I only knew of designs. like one other toy yeah. that had that like the shogun warriors had that too and and you know next thing you know of course you hear this news story about this kid who like fired one down his throat and you know choked <laughs> to death and you're like oh my god like what are they gonna do and they had this big toy recall where like you had to take your missiles out of your your colonial viper and your cylon raider and mail them in and they sent you back like a hot wheels toy and like these missiles that would kind of like lock into place and it it's like a gun buyback out. program 
And <laughs> there were, yeah, there they was like, suckered you. They suckered yeah. you with those things. Like <laughs> right. you, you plug those things in and then they never came out. Yeah, they yeah. never came out. Like, <laughs> and they were talking about this on the news constantly. And like every time a news yeah. story ran, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Like my folks are going to take these things because my, my parents are exactly the kind of folks who would get freaked out by something like that. Yeah. It would mail my missiles in and I'd never get them back. <laughs> And uh, I, there was like a couple of weeks there where I was just like freaking out. Like every time I saw a news story or a newspaper article or something like that, I'm like, don't read the paper because they're going to make me send my missiles back. And then finally, I feel like it, it just it passed, you know, like whatever it was that could have like made my parents like grab those things from me. It just sort of dissipated. And I was like, I think I get to hang on to them. Like, yeah. So that was my moment of truth is realizing like I didn't have to mail my missiles back. I'm keeping them. And yeah, the colonial viper didn't survive the, the bag of M80s phase either. But oh man, he's such a cool toy. I loved it so much. <laughs> Those ships were awfully cool. Um all right, so getting back to Star Wars for a second, a big part of the whole thing were the spaceships that went with the, star, with the action figures, which were super freaking awesome. And I never got my hands on them, but like I had a friend who had he had many more toys than I did, but he also had the Battlestar Galactica toys, and I thought those ships were super awesome. I mean, like the the Viper and the Cylon Raider, they were just like really awesome toys, and and those missiles fired a fair distance from what I remember. You could like you could fire them; they would go like you know, like they wouldn't like you know. Wasn't like a Nerf gun or something like that, but eight I mean, feet, maybe. Yeah, 10, maybe yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, they would go like well across the room for sure. You know, far enough that it made it hard to find them again in an era yeah. of shag carpeting. It was like <laughs> good, good chance you fired off a Cylon rocket, you weren't going to find it again. So there, there was that hazard <laughs> attached to it. But uh, they, they were they were super cool. They're super they were. cool. And they were trying to do some cool stuff with it too. Like I, you know, the front and the back of the Colonial Viper separated. And you could kind of like change the parts of the different toys to try and make new vehicles. But like, I get a sense like there was probably more in the toy line coming that just never got there because, you know, like you could interchange like the parts of the Scarab with the Colonial Viper. Clearly something was going on there and they were trying to make it so like you could have, you know, like eight toys in one kind of thing. But uh, it just, it, I don't know yeah. that it ever got there. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, part, you know? <laughs> the ugly truth of Battlestar Galactica is the same ugly truth of all Glenn A. Larson television shows particularly buck rogers which is that you know he wasn't trying to make great art he was just trying to cash in on an existing trend for two or three seasons and then turn it and burn it and then walk away so it's like the toys were like it's we're lucky those toys were as good as they were because i i doubt they were like holding out for like somebody who's going to lovingly recreate the ip or something they just wanted to knock off toys and get them out there and and, and make make some coin which you know i i get that but they were still pretty pretty cool i don't recall so I remember the small action figures that sat in the vehicles. Well, I don't really recall we're seeing a lot of the actual action figures of the characters, like of Starbuck and of, you know, Adama and of the Cylons and all that sort of thing. I don't even know that they had, like, an Apollo action figure. I know I had Starbuck and I had Adama at a minimum because I remember yeah. those pretty vividly. But they were taller, like, Star Wars-sized action figures. And I think they came out with some bigger ones, too, but... Uh, I never had any of those. I had like the ones that were kind of Star Wars size. And I'm like, why don't they just standardize this, please? So we can all play together and all the universes can collide. And yeah, <laughs> which is all I want. All I want. All I want. <laughs> <laughs> my, I'm nine years old. My needs are simple. Yeah. <laughs> the line, the, yeah. The line wasn't really that deep. You know? No. Not like Star Wars where you have like, you know, 92, 93 figures. It, it, 
Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 Tom, you also mentioned Space 1999. That's a toy line I never, well, as a kid, I never really, I hardly watched the show, and I really wasn't aware of the toy line. So, so talk me through that a little bit. Oh, uh, the Space 1999. The thing that I loved about that line, like, so I, I would go long periods of time without seeing my dad's family, which was all in Jersey, and I, you know, I grew up in Long Island. And, you know, sometimes like when I would go and visit like an uncle or something like that, they'd have like, you know, three or four years worth of birthday and Christmas presents to catch up on. I remember going to visit my uncle Joe one time. He had for me this gigantic box that, you know, I ripped open the wrapping paper and I'm like, it was the Space 1999 Eagle One. Uh, which is like this big transporter thing. And it was like for a kid like my age, you know, that, that I was then, it was like, it was a huge toy. It was like, you know, Millennium Falcon sized. So yeah. like you're talking yeah. about something that's a huge toy. And the thing is, my parents had just bought me one. So like there was no communication going on behind the scenes. <laughs> and I didn't say anything to him. And I just, you know, I, I took it home and my dad in the car on the way back to Long Island, he was just like, oh, you know, thanks for saving me on that. Like, uh, it's good that you didn't tell your uncle Joe, you already had it. And I turned to him and I was like, dad, do you realize what having two of these things is going to be like? Like that too. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> All the things are going to be able to do. That was another toy you could like take apart and put the sections in different like areas and stuff it was it was so cool like you could take the the jets off the back yeah. and combine uh -huh. them with the little cockpit from the front and have like a little mini ship it was kind of cool <laughs> i no, played it, with those myself that modularity seems like a toy pair a toy design paradigm that kind of maybe was sort of sort of destroyed by by the advent of star wars figures because the, the star wars figure kind of set like sort of the new de facto standard for all action figures you know in terms of just you know, just just all injection molding you didn't really put like costumes on them that you could put a gun in their hand but they weren't like point wasn't to highly accessorize each figure it was just each figure was its own was its own preserved state you know and so i don't recall a lot of star wars toys being the sort of thing where you could pull off a component from one and then you know you know, click it onto, onto the component of another. So when I'm hearing about like, about like, like the, the Galactica stuff and, and Space 1999, and, and when we get to my moment, that was a toy line that was also very interchangeable. That seems like a, just a, a functionality that just didn't, just, you know, it just it died in the market wars, you know, just didn't make it. Do you know how the, how the three and three quarter size came to be? No, I don't. Well, well, well you know what? I heard that Mego started making... What I understand is that G.I. Joe started at 12 inch. Mego started making their competitor dolls. They're, they're competing with G.I. Joe and they were making them at eight inch because of the oil embargo and it made it harder for them to get their hands on plastic. And then three and three quarters was when they started making, when they started, when they started licensing Mega Man off of Takata, which became Micronauts, which is what I'm going to talk about. But I think they were three and three quarters. And I think that may have been a standard that they were going with, but that, that's as far as I know. I don't know anymore. And I don't know if that's the full story. And this, and I and I share this because it's a great story. So Bernie Loomis was was the was the president of Kenner, right? And this is after they after they managed to secure the license for Star Wars. They had um, he calls in this guy David Okada, who's like one of the architects of the whole line, right? And he brings him in. And they were trying to figure out they were going to do action figures, but they didn't because they wanted to be able to have ships. They wanted it at a small scale. So David Okada goes up to Bernie Loomis's office and Bernie Loomis spreads his fingers about three and three quarter inches apart. He goes, how about, which they, which they were trying to get the height for Luke. And mm -hmm. they said, all right, how about about that big? And David Okada measures the space. 
between his finger, between his thumb and his and his forefinger, and it was three and three quarter inches, and that was that was the size that, and and the and the figures were to scale, right? Yeah. And that was going to be the height for Luke, and then yeah. that's where that's where the whole three and three quarter inch scale for I... figures of the seventies came. from. I adore it when purely subjective decision making like that ends up just ends up yeah. determining like a massive course of a certain kind of history. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. And to this day, I mean, you could argue that you know that, that a, a lot of other toy lines, you know, were insanely successful, like He Man, and despite the, the fact that they were not at that scale. Yeah. Yeah. Star Warriors. Yeah. yeah. So really cool. So, so Tom, any 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 other thoughts on Battlestar Galactica before we move on? Just that, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, having just, you know, great, like, little, little, like, interactions with friends and with my dad. That was, like, one of the pick the toys that, like, my dad would pick up. He wanted to see, like, how it shot the little bullets across the, the room. So, like, we would run around, you know, in, like, my grandfather's basement with the ships, like, you know, fighting each other and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. I remember I had a, you know, vivid memory of that happening one Christmas. And uh, first time, like, I really felt like my dad was interested in something that I was interested in, which was kind of yeah. cool. <laughs> I love that, though. The Battlestar Galactica stuff, like, as campy and as cheesy, like, as it is to watch today, just, like, set my imagination off yeah. when i was a kid I, I love that about it i want to go back in time and be a kid and hang out with tom and his dad and like yeah, right play with these toys and like go to conan the barbarian and all this other stuff. <laughs> seriously tom and his dad had it going on i'll tell you <laughs> no. no but the cool thing about galactica is that i mean that was like you know in in the era before home video that was star wars in your living room every week right you know it, right. it, it was the closest thing you're going to get and so it wasn't as good no but it was that it was just it just had to be there. It had to make an effort and be there. And it was, yeah, it was so much fun to watch. I mean, we were, I mean, riveted every single week into that show. So when, so when, when the toys came out, it was, it was pretty cool. And, and I will tell you, we often had, you know, for my friends who owned Star Wars um, spaceship toys, the Galactica things, like they always just, they, they slotted right in. They're like totally part of the whole, the whole scene. <laughs> you sure. Know? We're going to move on to my moment of truth, which is kind of related to Star Wars and to Battlestar Galactica. I picked the Micronauts by Mego. And what I loved about the Micronauts, so for those who don't know, the Micronauts were this, um, they're kind of like the, the great action figure line before Star Wars. And Mego famously, they were like the big action figure company of the 70s until their very faithful decision to not license Star Wars. And I guess there's a story, there's a story about how Migo actually pushed like Lucas representatives like 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 out of the room like get out of here kid you bother me like they just didn't want to hear about it at all and of course they made a decision that ultimately would seal the fate of the of that company but but they made all kinds of really cool figures during the course of the 70s and then their whole thing was they were you know rather than um creating figures and try to create a world around them they just created these basic figures and then licensed properties that already existed and put them on the figures. So like the they did like the world's greatest superheroes line, which is a really big deal. And that was like a lot of Marvel and DC uh, heroes. And and they, I remember playing with them a lot as a kid. Uh, they were super cool. They had like, you know, shoes and gloves you can take on and off. And they just had, you know, cloth capes and they were really cool. And they had these great play sets. They also did Star, uh, Star Trek fig, uh, figures at the time, uh, and which included one of the coolest playsets, which was the Bridge of the Enterprise uh, playset that had a, a transporter in it. And you put the doll in the transporter, and you simply spun the transporter, and you hit the button and stop it, and it would basically just like stop with the, with the character facing like outside of the outside of the, the playset as if he really went away. 
it was just a brilliant piece of design. I mean, as a kid, we just played with that transport. That was a good one. It was a good one, right? So those dolls were really freaking great. But then in the later part of the 70s, they licensed this line of toys called Microman from a Japanese maker called Takata, and they rebranded them as Micronauts. And the idea was there were these people who lived at, at the microscopic level, and that was pretty much it. There wasn't a whole lot of canon around these guys, but they just sort of put out all these wild and like really intricately detailed action figures. I mean, they, they had ball socket joints, they had like many points of, points of articulation. Like the Battlestar Galactica stuff, they fired things, which was super cool. Galactic Warrior figure had this big like rocket pack on the back of him that just fired this big dart with a big orange rubber ball at the end of it, you know, just fired. It was super cool. Um, they all had little mechanical things that happened, you know. And the play sets were these like really, really complex. They looked like little miniature sets from like Logan's Run. I mean, they were just like so so out there. And I just remember the Micronauts being one of those, they're the first toy that I tried to save up to buy on my own. And like we'd go to the store and I'd always see them. And I was so fascinated by them. And I was fascinated by how little detail they gave me. Like, I, like why is it, you know, <laughs> like the one guy I loved was Time Traveler. He was like the character who had like no accoutrements. So his power is time travel, the power you can't see and we don't have to make anything for. Like, all right, he just had a right. silver head. Yeah, silver head, exactly, you know. There were a lot but, of silver heads. You know, but there was Space Glider, these cool, like, retractable wings that popped out, which were super freaking cool. There was a Courier, who was this cool warrior, who, unfortunately, so top every he fell over every time he tried to stand him up. But for me, the moment of truth on Micromots that really put me over the edge was one year for Christmas, kind of like how, Tom, you cleaned house one year on, on Galactica. I... I made it. I was like, "This is the Christmas of like 1976," and so it's right before Star Wars. And I just had let it be known to my mom and dad that I really like Micronauts, and they got me, they got me this character named Force Commander and his his horse and uh, Oberon, right? And they were like the big good guys of the whole thing, and they got me Force Commander's battle cruiser. So now, nice. yeah, right. So here's the thing. And, Force Commander, unlike the other figures I was talking about, actually had magnetic joints. He, he, was, he was a bigger figure. He was more like eight eight inches tall or whatever. Maybe he wasn't that tall, but he was just he was obviously taller than the rest of the other figures. But he had these arms and legs you could pull off of the sockets because they're they're held in place magnetically, right? Not by rubber bands or anything. And you could even take his legs off and take the head of the horse off and click them together and make this like robot centaur with, you know, like rocket launchers on the hips and he just fired missiles out of his chest. And it was just like it was just bonkers how much stuff this toy could do is so cool but the battle cruiser was like a step beyond it was this great big flying fortress that force commander sat in right and it had these big wings these big guns on it that fired these big rockets which is super cool but those wings could detach off like toy pistols and you're like hey look at me pa, 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 and you're just blasting <laughs> blasting across the living room it was insanely fun and and micronauts they had that internal consistency where you could take the space pack off of, you could take the wing pack off of Space Glider and put it on the back of, you know, Galaxy Warrior and, and you know, and take the gun off of Galaxy Warrior and stick it onto a Croyer. Like, they all the stuff kind of, you know, easily, you know, that modularity was there. And it really encouraged you to just kind of mix match your collections. And so everybody's Micronaut collection eventually became this crazy melange of all the stuff you got minus all the stuff you lost along the way. <laughs> so it was this like, everybody had these like chimeric micronauts they brought to the party. So like, you know, it wasn't like a, an established canon because everybody had a different thing. Um, but micronauts were just an insane amount of fun and I really, really enjoyed them. And um, they were just, 
they're one of these toy lines. I remember kind of feeling sad about it because Star Wars comes out in 77. By 78, the action figure world is just ruled by Star Wars, and Micronauts is trying to limp along. And it's like, it was hard trying to rep Micronauts as a kid in a Star Wars world. It was like, it's just it's not happening. But in 1979, they had their Series 4 figures, and they came out with these really funky, mostly plastic figures. And they were like, they looked totally different, right? And they had these like, these like glow-in-the-dark brains on their head. Like there's mm. like a guy named Repto, and there was Membro, and there's like Andro, I think. And they were just these like multi-armed guys with multiple weapon attachments to click on their hands. So it was very Micronautish, but they just looked odd, and they didn't look like they belonged to any particular family. And Micronauts went, went away shortly after that. But I remember like feeling bad for these action figures like they had no home because they're part of a like like I knew they're part of a deadline and I I went and I whenever we played Star Wars figures I always made sure my Micronauts were like were like included like they were allowed to play with the other Star Wars figures because like it really mattered to me that these guys were like just left on their own you know and um I don't know it was, it was a weird figure diversity and inclusion way before it was cool yeah I guess <laughs> I just I felt bad for him I really did I was like right that was cool man look he's got wings he's got like a big red a big you know Green reptile head. Why would you not want to play with them? And I remember my brother was like, "Ugh, dude, those micronauts are terrible." I'm like, "No, they're not." And we used to like get into it. And I, it was like a point of like negotiation when we play Star Wars. Like, well, are we playing with micronauts or are we not? And it was like a point of contention for years after. Um, you can play with the micronauts, but they have to be creatures in the creature cantina. Sorry. Yeah. yeah do you know? <laughs> honestly, the, the 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 series four guys that was the standard house rule. Like they're allowed in the cantina. That was the big thing. Like they're like they're okay in the cantina. I'm like, well, okay, you know. Um, or or when we played like Empire Strikes Back level stuff, they could be seen as auxiliary bounty hunters. Like these are the guys like like the team B who didn't get the invite to the Star Destroyer, but they they knew there was a job out on Solo. <laughs> they're like. <laughs> Like they're like bounty hunter scabs, you know, like, okay, yeah, the micro- bring in the micronauts. There's this guy we're supposed to be looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they're, they're like the junior varsity bounty hunter squad, you know, bring the bounty hunter. You call those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Forlom won't take the job. Fine. Call the micronauts. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> See now, Bill, I, I, I really liked the uh, Micronauts uh, Marvel comic book, which oh, yeah. I, I read a little bit of at the time they never made a bug figure he was like the most interesting character in in the yeah. comic but they as far as i know they never made a corresponding micronaut action figure. they never made action figures for most of the characters in that in that comic they were yeah. never in, there was not a marionette figure there was not a commander True. rand figure the story of micronauts was that it's hard to think of marvel as a company on the verge of failure today but for much of the 70s it really was stan lee was um one of the things he was good at was figuring out what to license to make a quick buck you know so like in my marvel collection i have a comic of you know a marvel comic celebrating you know hey it's pope john paul the first yay like okay who made a, why, why did you make a comic about this well there's a buck in it you know and stan lee was really good at that sort of thing the Micronauts was one of these things where it was it was a cheap license from the pickup and just to, to bang out for a time. Keep in mind that this model saved Marvel Comics. Like it was about to go under, and Star Wars comics more or less single-handedly kept Marvel going for a not insubstantial period of time. Star Wars really saved Marvel. But the Micronauts, they picked it up and they were like, Well, what do we do with this? There's no story that goes along with it, you know? And um there's a, a writer named Bill Mantlow who is, he did a lot of work for Marvel. He was known as the fill-in king because at that time, production quality at Marvel was really terrible. So every time a writer was going to blow a deadline, they brought him in to like bang out some, you know, serviceable script in 24 hours. That was like his deal. Didn't he do and, a ton of Iron Man? 
I seem to remember he did, Logan. Honestly, he did almost everything at some point or another. Like, he did every major Marvel title at one time or another. He wrote, like, some, uh, he wrote hundreds of issues of, of, of Marvel comics. He got the Micronauts job. And they're like, we just want to do a couple issues, just do a thing and move on. And he was like, no, no, no. And he somehow, like, just fell in love with the notion of these guys. And he created, like, the entire canon that appears in those comics. And he just did it all on his own. He, like, that... Like the Tolkien bug bit him, and he just like went deep into this world building frenzy, invented a language for them, all this stuff. And Jim Shooter's like, Bill, what are you doing? Like, just do your job. He's like, This is my job. <laughs> and just, like, <laughs> <laughs> just went, he just went ham on their micronauts. And so, yeah, all that stuff in the comics is stuff that never appeared in the toys and never intended it for it to be in the comics. It's just, it was a mixture of a writer who loved to do it and an environment that was permissive of it, and the owners didn't care because they didn't see themselves as you know, keeping it going. I mean, the Micronauts comic well extended past after Mego, you know, crashed and burned in like 82 or so, right? So, so yeah, so a lot of that stuff in the comic just never got never got made. And a lot of the toys that got made never even made it into the comic either. That's the other right. thing. I don't, maybe it's me, but I remember Micronauts being, still being pretty huge in, in 77. Well, they, they probably were. I, the thing is, you can't, I can't, really underscore just the power of disdain that my brothers had for things that they didn't care for. So, I mean, for, so my, my experience may have been a hyper-localized one <laughs> born by intense sibling rivalry, <laughs> but, but, but no, but I remember seeing them in stores for a long time. I remember seeing, I remember at least until 1980 or 81, I remember seeing them in the stores all the time. And, and, and they were like, um, yeah, they're just, they're just, uh, a super cool thing to, to see. So. There, there's enough affection for, or you know, enough residual affection for Micronauts that uh, in the 90s, somebody started making them again. Yeah. And uh, I was showing off an Ac Acroyer, Acroyer, whatever, uh, figure from, from the, the remake line uh, before we started recording. And yeah, his arm straight fell off. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. they, they, they remained as delicate as they ever were yeah <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. A, I, you know, being a being a touch younger the my exposure to micronauts was the comic and not the toys um yeah. and and i have a very vivid recollection of that number one issue you know they came from inner space and uh everyone coming out shooting with the big bad guy in the background mm -hmm. you know yeah and i, I think it's from 79 I may even have that issue somewhere in the trunk, um, yeah. but it, it's just that, well, that's what I remember. Number two is a better cover with yeah. the lawnmower. It like it makes them small. It, it yeah, provides yeah. context. Yeah. In, in the um, in the toy line, there was like a big emperor figure, but but Baron Carza was like the Darth Vader of that whole line. He became like the big the big bad guy, and he even looks like Darth and, Vader. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, well, well, so the character Force Commander that I got. Force Commander and Baron Cars are simply the exact same model, but just one has black plastic, the other has white plastic. I mean, I mean, I, they they just simply just flipped it. That, that's all they all they did. Uh, but no, but Micronauts ran for, gosh, first volume probably ran for like, I had to go check, but like fifty or sixty issues, I suppose. It ran for a while, so, so and then guess. and then there was a second volume at Marvel too that ran for like maybe like another twenty issues, like back in the late eighties. New 80s. voyages it's been picked up once or twice by other publishing houses. Uh, so Micronauts as a thing, as an IP, has long outlasted like the toy makers from which it, from which it came. It's just, it's just, it's become its own thing. Yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen the Microverse referenced in relatively recent comics. I feel yeah. like on Marvel. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's in the movies. I mean, when, um, in the MCU, when Scott Lang, when Ant-Man goes into the Microverse, like that, that's it. That's the same yeah. environment. Right, yeah. 
No. I remember there was a. So there, you may see a Mike Ovenot's movie. Oh. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. A Baron Cars would be pretty cool because, you know, they, in the comic, they canonized the fact that his hands could kind of pop off. And so. In the, in the comic, he was his whole thing. Rather than Vader's force choke, Cars would just send his hand flying across the room to like throttle some fool. It's like, give me my hand back, you punk. You know, it's like it was just, I don't know, it just it was just different. But I I, I jumped, I, I loved it. It was really cool. I feel like so. if I had known all this back then, I feel like I might have gotten into the Micronauts. I think they, they were the thing I steered clear of because I just didn't know their story and didn't know uh, you know that there wasn't an established canon like there was with Star Wars or yeah. Right. Yeah. So we would often, my mom would go grocery shopping. We went to a store that was both like one half was a grocery store. The other half was a department store. So we, she'd go grocery shopping. I'd go skittering off the toy section and had no money to buy anything. So I'll just, you know, ogle at all the toys. And I remember looking at Micronauts really often. And it's like, just kind of trying to figure out like, what was their deal? Like, what was their story? What was their relationship to each other? And you just couldn't puzzle it out. And you really just had to make that up on your own. Like it was very much, it did not have a guided canon to go with. It was, it, and I think after a while that really appealed to me. I just love the fact that I, I I realized there were there were no rules to this. It just me to make up, and it was one of those things that I look back as as a as a, a prompt for my imagination as a young kid that really took hold. And I was like, you know what, these things are cool because they look cool. They are what I want them to be, and that was really neat and liberating. And it's not like that. We, it's not like we didn't do that with Star Wars figures because we did. But you could always default back to. We're gonna play Star Wars figures in the roles that these characters actually were in the movies, but Micronauts, you had no such stricture. Uh, I think what I like to do is, Joe, I like to go to, to you next because you represent uh, a toy line that is, I mean, honestly, also rather large, rather extensive. It's got a great history, and um, I think all of us have have some experience with it. So why don't you talk us through what what your big action figure line was and, and what it means to you and what your moment of truth is out of it? Yeah, I'm gonna take you to 1982. I'm seven years old, and uh, Japan uh, sends us, by way of Hasbro, robots that can change into vehicles. And this is a, it sounds sort of, you know, sure, why not? That's always been there, but this was a new idea. And we all remember when we were kids, you know, uh, Hot Wheels and, and um, the die-cast cars and all that. Those were, those were fun to play with, right? But now all, all of a sudden, you can have those that also become these, you know, these, these action figures. And in between, there's this, this really neat act of engineering that happens so that you can have something that realistically looks like a truck or realistically looks like a gun and then turns into a robot by way of, you have to actually kind of know what you're doing. You have to, and as a seven, eight, nine, 10 year old, you've got to go through this, you know, 30 steps or whatever it is to, to make these things, these transitions happen. And, and I was hooked. That was the biggest thing for me. When I, when I was a kid, I, was a, I watched the show every day. I played with these toys and um, I, I loved them. For about three to five years in the mid 80s, it, it was hard to find a bigger toy line probably um, than, the, uh, than the Transformers. And I would save up my money and what I didn't spend on comic books, I was spending on, uh, on Transformers at Toys R Us. Kids, there used to be toy stores. <laughs> Oh, and man. poor um, one out for Toys R Us. Oh my! God. I know, right? I, I I miss going to Toys R Us and just walking around and seeing what was there, and just just like not buying yeah. anything. But just, Same here. Like, I, I would do that as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love taking my kids there, and I'd say, oh, you know what, guys? You each get five bucks. Go get what you can. And then yeah. it was like you know, the game was find something for five bucks or less. In, in Toys R Us. <laughs> and um, you know, maybe it was a Lego minifigure or something. Yeah. But but when I was a kid, you know, I, it just. There was this, and there was a canon 
they, they did come out with a storyline yeah. to these. You know, there were the good robots, there were the bad robots. And, you know, you have the Autobots and the Decepticons. Every birthday, every Christmas, it was, it was new characters to add to my collection. And uh, what I love most is I still have all of them. And my kids loved playing with them. Uh, you know, 30 years later, my kids got a huge, huge charge out of playing with these things. My moment of truth is going to be the um, actually the movie that came out. There was a, an animated wide theatrical release movie that came out in 1986, yeah. which, by the way, is better than anything Michael Bay ever did with the Transformers in, in theaters. And I mean, the, the vocal talents of people from Judd Nelson to Leonard Nimoy to, to you know, Orson Welles in this in this movie. <laughs> How hammered Orson um, Welles have been on that shoot? I mean, <laughs> oh my God, he must have been looking at that thing going, "Are you kidding me? Like, what? I eat planets? Cool, I could eat a planet, but um, I have, in fact, know, eaten planets. In fact, I have eaten more than one planet. <laughs> what was cool about that was the the storyline was such that when they did the movie, it pivoted from okay, cars and planes on Earth to being this more, you know, galactic thing where there were, you know, spaceships and all this. It, it completely changed the entire nature of the toy line. You, yeah, take me to Optimus Prime, take me to Megatron, take me to Starscream and Bumblebee and all those guys. And, and the amount of hours that I spent with those as a kid, that, that pretty much is my childhood. One of the cool things about Transformers is that on the back of the cards of any given package, they had the stats for that Transformer broken out like on a scale of 10 and, and I forget what the attributes were, but it was, it was, you know, like for the D and D generation, I was like, Oh, this is cool. We can, we Same can think yeah. we can stat this out. And it was like, it was like strength, speed, fighting, intelligence, you know, it was, it was like five or six. The best thing, Bill, the best thing, Bill, is there was one called rank. So you had strength <laughs> and speed and all these physical rank. attributes, but there was one that told you where this dude stood in the hierarchy. And like, you know, Optimus Prime gets his 10, yeah. Megatron gets his 10. But some guys are out there, they got like a one or a two. They're like, this is the guy that cleans the bathrooms. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just I love that so much. About he changes he changes tires on Cybertron. Yeah, this is the guy who transforms into the janitor's. Yeah, guy. yeah, right. He filters so, the oil baths. Yeah, right. So my problem with Transformers. So Joe, I've got a brother who's pretty much your exact same age, and he was all similarly massively into Transformers. He absolutely loved them, and um, you know, and he was that was like as every spare dollar went to them. He had a pretty substantial collection. So did his friends. So they're around. Every once in a while, I'd get around and I'd play with them, but. I will tell you, I I utterly failed at understanding how to transform these damn things. I could not, like, I could not, you know, get Optimus Prime to transform. Like, halfway, I just, like, well, he loses because here he is, a mangled heap of nothing because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and, and I had to have somebody, like, rescue Optimus for me because he's like, what'd you do to him? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, and I'm not he's a trailer to... now. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like he fell off a bridge. Like, I, I would, and the only ones... I could actually I could actually successfully transform would be um I forget their names but there was like a boombox that had like these little cassette robots yeah Soundwave yeah the little cassettes I could do the cassettes okay but Bumble they were the frenzy. only ones I could do and and so you know I just realized, yeah <laughs> there you go I just I just knew this was a toy line that was too smart for me I just couldn't <laughs> I just couldn't do it. That was part of every you know, whenever somebody on the block got like a new transformer. It was like, all right, well, how do you how do you do him? And like I never learned it on the first shot, you know, like after uh watching somebody do it. And I was like a Rubik's Cube. You're like, what the hell? You know? I, I was just the thing is that I was it, some of them could be a little finicky, and I was so terrified I was gonna break one because they you know, and they're pretty intricate. And I was like, you know, it would be just like me to snap off Optimus's arm, and then I'm gonna have to, you know, buy my brother another Optimus Prime, which would not be great. So 
I, I just bail on them so far. But they were super cool, though. I mean, there were so many of them, and they were really cool. And the TV show was was awesome. I watched that TV show a lot. I mean, that was a great, a great show. I missed the movie. But I'll tell you what. I was there when my brother came home from it and was like, dude, they killed Optimus Prime. I'm like, that's, a, that's not true. That's impossible. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> that, movie, <laughs> that movie, by the way, forget you know, the voice talents, which included, by the way, Eric Idle. The, the music they had in this thing, this thing had like a metal soundtrack to it, which was a beautiful choice that they had. I mean, this was like White Lion. And <laughs> Is that so, metal now? Other, well, <laughs> 1986. I will not have anybody uh, slogging Vito Brada on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Ned Stan Bush, and then but like what they but the the um the non lyrical music was by Vince Vince Dicola, um who also did all of the Rocky training montage music the heavy electronica, um huh. it's the same dude wow uh, but so for me Transformers is a huge thing up until honestly up until when Robotech the 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 show came came to the states and and that was that was through Harmony Gold and they were basically and that like. My understanding is that, meanwhile, in Japan, <laughs> the whole transformable, <laughs> the whole transformable robot kind of properties. There were like multiple ones that were sort of like intertwining and fighting with each other or ripping each other off. So there was like a lot of them. So, like and all, all urinating on Transformers, yeah, more or less. So, <laughs> so when, when Robotech came around, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like these are just you know robots that transform into other shapes of fighting robots. Like wasn't like there was no there's no subtlety there. And it was it was very much like a successor to Star Blazers, so I was really into it. And I was like, okay, this is cool for me. And my brothers were like, dude, Transformers is still cooler than this. I'm like, oh man, here we are again. Like, you know, Marconauts wasn't cool enough. Robotech's not cool enough. What is? I, I'm sensing a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a lifelong, you know. It, yeah, we we can. <laughs> there are multiple iterations. Another of it. super cool thing that they they the um the robots were like teams that would you could join them together to make a big robot right it was like a voltron type thing that you could do they had like like construction uh, constructicons who there were six of them that you could join them together to make devastator who was yeah. this, you know this foot tall thing and they started to have uh, you know a variety of groups that you would assemble together to make these these massive robots and it was um, it was quite an undertaking, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, could the what the Dinotrons? Is that it? Or Dinobots? No, Dinobots. The Dinobots never did join together. Okay. That's not something they did. Yeah. So, but they were cool though. <laughs> they, <laughs> the Dinobots were awesome. They were. They're they super cool. So. Like so, Grimlock in the uh, TV show. Yeah. It's like the stupid one. Yeah. Me Grimlock. Yeah. Me Grimlock. Grimlock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me Grimlock just became like a standard thing. Like we just said, like just goofing off for some reason. Like if you wanted to announce your presence in a particularly unsubtle way, you just break into a conversation like me Grimlock. Like, okay, this is, you're asserting your presence. <laughs> One of the cool things is that Peter Cullen was the voice of Optimus Prime in the, in the cartoons. And then Michael Bay used him to voice Optimus Prime in the live action movies as well, which um, is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is. So, 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 so moving off from Transformers, we're going to go over to, to Chris's moment because these two are kind of strangely, strangely connected, actually. So, Chris, talk us through your moment, what you loved most about this particular, this particular line. So I'm also taking you to 1982. And on Christmas morning, when I was allowed downstairs, the first thing I saw was just what I'd wanted. Most of the original lineup of G.I. Joe three and three quarter inch action figures were laid out on a new sleeping bag that I was going to need for my first real camping trip as a scout. I was almost 12 and I had been 
begging for these figures for months in large part because of the line's awesome vehicles uh, of which I was disappointed to see none on the sleeping bag that morning. <laughs> but that that disappointment was mitigated uh, by the fact that after G.I. Joe and the sleeping bag, the third thing I saw was at long last uh, an Atari 2600 uh, with, with combat packed in. Prices on that on that console had finally fallen into the $100 range. <laughs> the, the rich kids were opening their new ColecoVisions, but, you know. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. It got to you eventually. So G.I. Joe was familiar to me uh, as a kid. I had played with a couple of the 12-inch the figures, but the new line was, you know, regular action figure size, which Star Wars had made standard. If my memory isn't playing tricks, these G.I. Joe toys were the first that I had seen in like a toy section or a toy store that were displayed, unboxed and posed in a plexiglass enclosure. Oh, I, I could be wrong. I may just be remembering the marketing materials, but but, you know, everything showed you how much more how much cooler they were than, say, a Star Wars figure. They had eight points of articulation. After 1983, all the figures had uh, swiveling elbows as well. So 10 yeah. points. Unlike a Star Wars figure, these guys could ride a motorcycle. Um, they had some great character designs, notably Cobra Commander, the, ma the mail-in guy, uh, Scarlet and Snake Eyes. Sweet accessories for as long as you could keep them. Um, Snake Eyes twin uzis were dope and at least yeah, you know scarlet's scarlet guys was deadpool before there was a Deadpool. yeah yeah exactly it was so cool it was and, so cool and, and scarlet had a a, a crossbow, a crossbow right? which was yeah. super cool and also really easy to find in the carpet um <laughs> with your foot those things mattered <laughs> they, they, they they mattered even even their packages were awesome man they, they came with these cutout file cards with the character's background and training and qualifications yeah, yeah, yeah. much like those ranking things for the transformers and and there was some diversity too uh in the original lineup there's a black character stalker who was among the coolest ones mm -hmm. and and they added more non-white non-male characters later of course they did diversity and they even in had that. The, the sailor who was the gay character right? <laughs> shortly even <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, uh, of Venture Brothers, but <laughs> Venture Brothers has a whole thing about G.I. Joe figure guys as gay icons. It's super awesome. Um, anyway, in, in, in the 80s, you know how they, you know, diversity, they kind of did it in like a backhanded way, like a Luke Cage way. You know, Stalker's card, for example, made him, uh, he they said that Stalker was the warlord of a large urban street gang prior to enlisting. Oh, geez. What the hell, man? Yeah. <laughs> why, why, is, why does that have to be? What, what? Like before he turned 18? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Before he was eligible for the draft. So these are really cool. <laughs> these are really cool action figures, but it, it was the vehicles that really sold it. Um, and I hadn't gotten any for Christmas, but soon after my, my midterm report card came out and, and I had Mamma take me to the Woolco at Azalea Mall where I spent the dollars she gave me for every A, I had six of them on the Ram motorcycle. I, I probably got the Vamp Jeep a month later for my birthday. And then, you know, within the year had got my hands on the Mobat tank. And these vehicles were awesome. They, well, they were so well-designed for one thing. Yeah, they you were. Know, they, they, there, there was nothing cartoonish or showy about them, especially in the first year. They looked plausibly military 
you know, unless they had missiles attached to them. After 83, those missiles tended to be like, you know, hot pink or red or something. But they were also so incredibly tough. I mean, I, I may have had to pop the Vamps machine gun back on a hundred times, but that toy survived stunt jumps down stairwells into concrete and <laughs> I mean, high-speed brick wall collisions in great shape. I mean, and, and, and that was the thing about these toys. I, I was 11 when I first got them. I, I think that the last, I think that the last G.I. Joe thing I got was probably from a, like a, a generous and well-meaning aunt who last year knew that I was into uh, G.I. Joe. So like in, in 1984, she sent me the Warthog. <laughs> they had, they had an, eight, an, an A-10 Warthog plane that they called the Rattler. Oh, I remember that. And, and yeah. even that thing was tough. So, you know, I, these toys, posability and toughness, and, you know, no doubt my burgeoning adolescence, brought around a whole new kind of play with action figures. I mean, before this, they had been kind of precious, you know, like th those Star Wars figures, you can't, those are valuable. You can't, you can't do anything to those. But, you know, I, I'm 11, I'm 12, and I'm starting to realize that I'm not going to be playing with these things forever. And and they don't need to last. Yeah. And, and I tested them in every way imaginable. I mean, indoors... <laughs> We'd set them up and fire crossbows and catapults discs at them. Outdoors, we'd set them up, you know, as though they were making a beachhead uh, and drop mortar shells ranging from super balls to baseballs on them from the deck <laughs> upstairs. From the deck. <laughs> I mean, and and their their grips, their their grips <laughs> yeah, right. were so useful in play too. I mean, I I, I would uh, I, I would use these little uh, drywall eyelets. Uh, with like a three-eighths inch screw and, and screw them into the wall and I would string fishing line in a web around my room and you could take one of these eyelets and, and like bend open the eye a little bit so you could get it over a, uh, a fishing line easily and screw it into a G.I. Joe's hand and because they had these posable arms and you know they could like zip line across my bedroom while firing you know their their automatic weapon yeah and ah oh, it was just the best it, it opened up a whole new kind of like experimental and even engineering kind of play yeah and and i mean uh, we tested these toys to destruction and they were invulnerable i love chris, I, chris i salute your varsity level play with these things that, that that's 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 <laughs> that. That's some excellent stuff, man. It really is. You were doing the stuff that they always suggested in the in the commercials that right. could be done, but never really were done. You're like, I'll see, I'll see your 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 little play thing, and I'll actually include like engineering, <laughs> you know, make this thing happen. So coolest character there was Destro, right? The, oh yeah, the, the arms dealer with like the silver head, with the chrome head. Yeah, no, he was he was he was cool too. So I remember the vehicles of G.I. Joe being super awesome. And, and, you know, it's funny is that this line was way more successful than the original line that came out, you know, you know, way back in, in the early days. Like, like that didn't, yeah. that one didn't really last that long because it was kind of, it was pegged to, hey, kids, feel patriotic about Vietnam. Well, we know how that ended, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but they, they brilliantly recast it as this part of this fantasy, this militaristic fantasy war between a, you know, a, you know, even though he was a real American hero, 
they were not really representing any kind of actual military branch that you knew of. And Cobra was just this faceless, like they're they're like they're like Spectre from James Bond. They're just this fictional, yeah, yeah. They're just this <laughs> evil group, and who knows where they are from and whatever. The point is they're there. You know, it was really evergreen, but it was a lot of fun. And again. I didn't play with the toys a lot, but I do remember the cartoon show an awful lot. And I remember really quite enjoying that as, as well. Getting back to the Micronauts thing, these bo both G.I. Joe and Transformers were both supported by Marvel Comics uh, for a really long period of time. In fact, Transformers and G.I. Joe are still in print now through IDW. And Transformers, I believe, no, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is the longest running licensed comic book property in production. Right now. It's, been, it, it's been in production since 1982. Um, Transformers is close behind at 84, but, but, but those comics have been around forever and ever and ever. G.I. Joe and Transformers would cross over more than once. They're clearly in the same universe. Yeah. And it was really good. My best friend, when I was in elementary school, he had all the G.I. Joes. I never had any G.I. Joes. I had all the Transformers. He didn't have any. And so it was great because he'd come stay over at my house and it was like, you know, Christmas morning for him because he could play with all these Transformers. And if I was at his house, it was like, oh, like check out all these cool G.I. Joes. And it was like, that was that was part of the awesome thing about having a buddy who had a collection that was different than yours. It was like you got to play with all his stuff and it was all brand new to you. Yeah. Yeah. So and um, you could put two hands on their guns. They could. You yes. know, other yeah. other action figures couldn't do that. And I, I, I can't even describe how much currency that had for me. Like. Like, who, who, like, these are real action decided figures. like in the marketing department like we're really going to talk about the articulation here because like you have still like even eddie murphy used to make a gi joe with the kung fu grip you know like everybody knew <laughs> yeah had you know like extra things it could do with its arms and everything yeah. and you, you could you know bend it in places that the star wars figures like didn't bend and stuff like that it was really cool well when you talk about action figures that are made today very much for purely collectible purposes a lot of times articulation is a real big selling point oh you yeah know? And, and and i'm always i've always been fascinated by like what do those conversations look like like where art and engineering and commerce all kind of try to venn diagram on top of each other you know to get like you know like what is the optimal level of articulation for a figure that you want to sell at a certain price and can you have too much articulation starts making the figure look weird you know like i imagine these things are all they're all, they're all part of the conversation right one of the things that's always that, that always sticks in my craw that, that's always irked me about the uh, the, the modern uh, Star Wars line is is, is articulated ankles, and, <laughs> and and because it works on, on certain figures, it really works on a on a stormtrooper it does on a Han Solo figure it does. I, I always I always say Ewoks do not need articulated ankles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining somebody was really taken by that one two-second shot in Return of the Jedi where the speeder bike guy just goes, whew, puts his foot down to, to throttle the bike like that. We need that in every yeah. figure we ever make. We need to be able to do that. That That's part of the verisimilitude of Star Wars. Make it happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there you are with, you know, how do you articulate Jabba's tail? I don't care. Just make it happen. You know? mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite G.I. Joe figure uh, of all the ones you had? Uh, Scarlet. Have to be Scarlet. Really, and, and and in fact, and 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 that's actually remarkable, right? I mean, because well, well, because one female I, character, right? But well, not because it was a female character, just because like everybody I knew, Snake Eyes was like the only show in town, so everybody's always default well, to Snake, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes was super cool, but no, Scarlet had a crossbow and and red hair. <laughs> Scarlet, <was cool>. <laughs> which <laughs> which you know, like this came along right at my adolescence, and uh, yeah, I, I I think that may have had an effect on me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is it an accelerant or, or a, know, we're not really sure. But... <laughs> say no more. Say no more. One time, she had a crossbow and red hair too. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, look, um, let's let's do a quick thunder round uh, so we can just run through because I know that you know we all talked about a lot of stuff that comes from the older days uh, for sure, and I'm sure there are other things that come from that vintage. But I know you know as we have all you know played with action figures and collected them that sort of thing. There's there's plenty more that we couldn't possibly get on. So. Real quick, let's just go through, uh, you know, and, and just, I know everybody, when I talked, like, what's your moment going to be? I know everybody had, like, that list they had to narrow down from, most likely. Oh, I, no, although I'm sure, you know, for Sean, it was pretty pretty easy to get right to Star Wars. But what's another line of action figure that really stood out to you that you love, you still love, whatever, and, and just really stuck out to you? Tom, you want to you start? Yeah, I love the Green Army Men. You know, I, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point, I don't know when it was, like, you you know, you could just go into the drugstore and get, like, a bag of army men. It was cool. <laughs> you know, you had the guy with the bazooka and the guy looking yeah. at the goggles and, like, Crawling. standard ones. But, like, at some point, the, the design team on that just went bonkers. And you had everything from, like, you know, Jeeps and tanks and howitzers and all this stuff, like, my friend had a set. It had like actual like the coiled like barbed wire and stuff they used to lay out on battlefields. Like, and the guy got like super cool. And even though you really couldn't like pose those guys very well or anything like that, we would have like little dice games that we would make up with you know sure. battlefields drawn out where we had these different charts and stuff that we made by hand so you could have like these battles and do like a a simulation because a lot of the stuff was pretty you know realistic. I mean it was not exactly you know articulated like the best way but like you know yeah. a jeep was a jeep you know it looked exactly yeah. like the jeep you remember from you know world war ii uh so you know a lot of that stuff was really great and i, I loved playing with that all the time that would that, that just stayed with me like all through childhood we had green army men <laughs> the cheapness of green army men is everything because you know <laughs> you don't mind uh tying one to an m80 you know you, you don't mind uh using a handkerchief and some thread to give you know give one a parachute and toss him off the roof <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, and the great thing is that if they got broken like you just hold him in reserve like well he's a wounded guy bring him on right. later you know <laughs> missing, missing his legs for some reason like oh no it's all good it's all good so he's just a casualty <laughs> he's just casually and i will say this uh if you if you left them in in like a in like your mom's car back in the late 70s and all that uh they, those they would melt i mean those things oh, yeah. they, they would straight up like oh no my armor figure he's <laughs> like well i guess the flamethrower got to him <laughs> you know it was like that was always the always the explanation for it so um sean what's what's another action figure line that really speaks to you i don't know if it's if you if you'd call it an action figure but i absolutely adore lego minifigures Oh yeah, no, no, oh, no. Yeah. They th- those qualify for sure. I, I absolutely adore Lego minifigures. I love Lego because just there's so much whimsy in Lego, yes. and it's never been articulated better th- than in the in the minifigures. They have like a, a mariachi guy, you know, <laughs> yeah, yes. or, or oh, yeah. you know, like a, you know, I have a display where I have like you know, a mariachi guy next to you know a guy a guy who's in a banana costume, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, they, they're just I just I love I love like and and, this, they, and, and that, that's something they were always like churning out too. like yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. those crazy new ones yeah and, and, and no, my, my brother works for Lego so we have a room of of Lego my kids study we have the books like the history of the minifigure and all that kind of stuff so you can go you know start in the I think it's seventy seven when yeah. the first figure came out mm-hmm. everything the world I guess started in nineteen seventy seven. And um, more or less, yeah. But you know how right now you can turn their faces and they have like the one face where they're smiling and you turn around yeah, and they uh-huh. have the face where they're surprised. 
I was fascinated to learn the first two-faced Lego minifigure. Can you can you guess which which minifigure was the first one that had two different faces? Oh gosh, two face. Batman. I don't know. <laughs> it was from Harry Potter. It was the Voldemort one where it was Crow right. with Voldemort on the back wow, of his face. Brilliant. Wow. It's that recent, I guess. Whatever that. I would have. I would have thought it was a much older innovation. Yeah, That's amazing. I would have thought so. Nope. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, no, Lego minifigures are the bomb, though. Um, when Connor was playing with Legos all the time, and I remember telling him, I was like, "Look, dude, if you get to a point where you feel like you're gonna, you're, you're too cool for Lego, you don't use it anymore. You gotta do me a favor, okay? Hang on to these, please, okay? Especially because <laughs> like you're gonna want to get them again." And I remember he actually, um, he kind of put his Legos away for a while, and and said, "You know, well, Dad, you know what? Because he and I play together with Legos a lot with the minifigures all the time, and so he actually built for me." This three set of just these these three minifigures that he sort of that he sort of sort of put together, and there's these 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 characters he made. He goes here, these are for you, Dad, and he gave them to me, and I just love that. Uh, that mariachi figure is adorable, by the way, Sean. Pinata with the yeah. little kid with yeah, the with pinata the, and the stick. And the stick. Diva, yeah, pinata, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I had yeah, to, I like, yeah, I, no, I, I yeah, would have no, moved no, heaven and earth cool. to, to have yeah. that. It, it, it's yeah. the silliest yeah. thing, but I absolutely adore it. It's wonderful. No, no, Lego minifigures are super, super awesome. And when you go to comic conventions, you can see like how many people can like basically create like customized minifigures. And mm -hmm. there are people who make like third party accoutrements for minifigures. And I remember like uh, for Christmas one time, I got um, Connor this big weapons pack that somebody has made like a hundred just like handheld, like ancient, modern, futuristic weapons just for you, you know, you know, for your, all your Lego characters. And it was just this coolest thing. And like, like Lego in general is just, there's a magic to that toy line. That's fantastic. And the minifigures are a nice representation of it. But Joe, what's another action figure line that, that really speaks to you? I got to go Masters of the Universe. That was my go-to before Transformers. Um, we had all those guys. We had, you know, we had, uh, you know, we obviously He-Man and Skeletor. We had, we had the Moss Man where the guy was like covered with indoor and outdoor carpet. Uh, and we had, we had the skunk dude that stank to high Stinker. heaven. We had, uh, but the thing is, all of these guys, all of these guys were jacked out beyond any reasonable. And every every single one of them is a queer icon, right? <laughs> like, I loved Skeletor. Skeletor was my favorite because this guy, all he really wanted was world domination. It wasn't too much to ask. He wanted the secrets of Grey Skull. He laughed a lot. That, like everybody has a dream. <laughs> and, and, and he did. He lost all the time and he kept coming back. But you got the sense that like he was a little sheepish about the whole physique thing. Like he went to the gym because everybody else did. You know, He-Man was the guy in his Uggs and his bandolier, you know, like, cranking it out, you know, doing the roids. And Skeletor was like, oh, I got to keep up with these guys so I can't skip the gym, you know, the, the whole bit. And he's got Beast Man there who's like got an IQ of seven trying to like and everything hinges on Beast Man being able to count to three at the key time in the episode, <laughs> but he can't do it. It's like, why is every single one of your plans yeah. count? Like, you know, send somebody else. But no, He Man was. I I love those figures. Yeah, yeah, really cool figures. And also, just for you to run for office again, and somebody's going to ask the question. Like, Tell me about your He Man Masters of the Universe headcanon, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you asked <laughs> no it's funny you should ask that question <laughs> so very cool very cool um <laughs> that's awesome chris what's another line that, that you really really love the chris star warriors oh wow that's a deep cut i i you know like i only had like one of them uh but but I saw I like so many guy. ads for them in Marvel Comics yeah. in the early 80s. Yeah. Like they 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 like seeped into my head. 
I, they weren't great toys, except they were kind of cool because they were like, you know, transparent plastic, yeah. you know, partly. They all looked like, you know, sort of semi-gem people. It was neat, but... Yeah, they're the rock candy guys. Yeah, but but I mean, it really, it, it just had to do with being exposed to those ads over and over and over yeah. again. Yeah. We're going to make this a thing whether you want to. <laughs> you yeah. like it? I like it very much, yeah. Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> exactly. Um, another line that I really loved, I have to say, I'm sure there are people who would not consider these to be action figures, but we ultimately played with them as if they were. But um, for me, actually, Fisher Price Little People, when I was a really little kid, we had so many of them. And they're just, the real early ones were like a simple wooden, like pegs with a little round head on the top of it. Yep. There wasn't a lot to them. But we had, you know, I had two brothers. My, my parents, they just got, they invested heavily in that. We just had like all these city playsets, the airport and the parking garage and just the gas station, all these things. We, we could actually like create like a whole Fisher Price city in our living room and just play with it. And we just, and we had so much fun playing with that sort of stuff. And it would just be either just, playing just normal life or just playing adventures or whatever. And it really like they, and they just, they just stuck with us in a really big way. And I, I'm going to get a two for off these because the line is still around. And when Connor, when, when, you know, Connor and when Fiona were getting toys, I was like, well, I'm going to get you little people. That's what I grew up on. Only to find that they were much different, you know, in 2000 than they were in 1975. Right. Um, they were, you know, injection molded plastic. They actually look, they actually look like little chibi people, right? They, they're much more detailed, but the spirit was still the same. You know, we still play with them and still had a lot of fun with them and they're really adorable. And, um, you know, we, we just, we play with them an awful lot. And uh, the funny thing is though, is that around that time, uh, my wife and I and our friends were playing this great board game called Kill the Dr. Lucky, which is by Cheap Ass Games. Originally, it was by Cheap Ass Games. And their whole point was the games are very cheap. They'll sell you the rules, and you basically have to create the board and supply your own game pieces. <laughs> and so Kill Dr. Lucky is a reverse of Clue, right? Whereas in Clue, you're trying to figure out who killed Mr. Body. Kill Dr. Lucky, you're going around trying to, trying to you, you want to be the one who murders Dr. Lucky. You just need to arrange him so that nobody else can see you doing it, and you killed him. Well, for pieces, we all used Fisher-Price little people, right? So there's something deeply and darkly humorous about us playing this game of competitive murder with all these, like, little people walking around. And eventually we were playing, and, like, Fiona was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, we're busted. <laughs> we're like, oh, um, and we had, like, come up with a story for, like, why her characters weren't actually committing murder. But Fisher-Price <laughs> little people, they, they still kind of, they, they, they sort of stick with me. I, I enjoy them. Little people, uh, I, I'm a, I chiefly remember as projectiles. Um, <laughs> them and the weevils. You know, the, the weevils they, they, throwing a rock at somebody. Oh, you could, yeah, you could kill a man with a weevil. You, yeah, you, you, definitely, really could. you could definitely take down a squirrel with a weevil. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. Absolutely. But, yeah, I, like and a big part of our play out. was, you know, testing onto destruction. And uh, we we would build... You, do you remember the uh, the little green lego plates like yeah. that were that were you know like you know eight inches wide by three inches or i'm sorry eight inches long by three inches wide or whatever well we would we would design spaceships like star destroyers essentially on top of those and then we would launch projectiles at them they could be little people <laughs> they could be stacks of like you know four by two legos or <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we, you know, who whoever's whoever's ship took the least damage won. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sounds about right. Um, another quick round, Tom. What's a, what's what's another action figure line that really speaks to you? 
Shogun Warriors. They were the other ones that like shot missiles and stuff like that. Yeah, those things flew for days. Those flying discs, they had like wings in them. They would actually like, they're aerodynamically solid. Things that like shot out of it. I'm looking at this one that I I just remembered that I had and it was like one of the vehicles and it's like this odd mixture between like a helicopter, a jet and a bird. And it had these like claws (laughs) on the front that shot out. And I'm like, how did we like have that as kids and not you know, like launch one into an eye or I know like, like it was sharp. I remember it being sharp and I'm like, how did our parents let us play with these things? Like, they were so cool. Like a yeah. lot of that stuff was like the predecessors to like, you know, Voltron and stuff like that, which yeah. you know, I got into watching that cartoon like later. But uh, like, I remember those, you know, being on the shelves. And again, that was one of those things that like, just really didn't have a lot of like established canon behind it. It was just, you know, yeah. the thing you had to make up a lot of the stuff around. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of it was just coming in from Japan. You're like, what is this stuff? But uh, I, I also remember Shogun Warriors cool. being they like, shot, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, they shot. I also remember them, that they were enormous, right? Like oh, they were like, yeah. like, how tall were they? They were, they were up there, yeah. Like two feet, maybe. At least, yeah. even three. Yeah, okay. Like, like as a kid, I remember thinking, like, it's almost like the size of a small person. Like, like, like so, so, so mammoth, you know? Um, <laughs> Did any of you have the, the Godzilla? It was like that that oh, that, that Shogun Warrior yeah, size yeah. Godzilla. Oh, that, I remember that. The tongue that came out. Yeah. And, it's and a, shot oh, the man. fist. <gasps> oh, yes. my God. I forgot all about that. Yeah. That's sweet. Superior toy when you're a kid, just unbelievable. <laughs> a superior. Well, you could actually have Godzilla and the Shogun Warrior get into it. It's like like maybe like a proper kaiju battle in your living yeah. room now. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> so, so good. Uh, Sean, what's another line that really speaks to you apart from the the massive Godzilla? I really, I really, really enjoyed the Raiders of the Lost Ark line, even though it was it was super short. Gosh, there must have been like less than ten figures in the whole line. It was like it's like Indy Marion, the 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 German mechanic. Taught, yeah, Dala, yeah, and uh, and the Cairo swordsman, and and Indy in the in the in the uh, in the Nazi disguise, huh? And Belloc, and, and the the regular Belloc, and there was a mail away Belloc. Okay. In the, yeah, mail away Belloc had the uh, the the Jewish uniform one, right? Yeah. The, the priest uniform. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean that cool. that 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 line is incredibly cool, and it was it was really short lived. Joe, what's another line that you really love? Uh, I'll give a quick nod to the Marvel three and three quarters uh, characters that um, I collected for uh, a long time, maybe you know five to ten years ago, and then they were discontinued for the Legends series, which I don't like as much. I like the three and three quarter size, um, and I've collected just about all of those. But but I, what I really want to mention is that's more nostalgic, were the Dungeons and Dragons figures um, that were out in the late eighties, uh, mid to late eighties, I'd say. Where they, you know, we're talking Ringle Run, and these were ones that would vary up by size, like the dwarves and the elves yeah. and the, the wizards. They had different heights and sizes, and they did have uh, um, a lot of equipment, you know, bows and arrows and swords and warhammers and whatever else. But the the coolest thing about the series were the the monsters themselves. The 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 you know whether it was a a neoatyug or a, a shambling mound or or whatever else. These these were these heavy molded plastic some of them would be would be bendable with like wire inside of them and they were just they were brilliant and my brother and i collected all of those and had a a lot of fun with those very cool very cool chris one more line that you really like you know i'm tempted to uh go with weebles to start an argument about the uh, definition of 
an action figure but <laughs> you know honestly it's got to be the migos for me you know when i was five or six years old i i, I had i don't know 18 of those things and and i had a little shelf in my room that i kept them all lined up on and yeah uh you know and, and it was completely you know like universe agnostic so i had like superman and green lantern and wonder woman with dr zayas you know iron man and evil people you know right right yeah. yeah oh oh and that's another one i don't know if you count as a, an action figure but the evil can evil stunt cycle it had an action figure on it an action figure that went with it. Oh yeah, that was, <laughs> was bomb, that, man. That was yeah, good stuff, man. That was a toy. Oh, it's so good. It's like, because you had to, you had to put it through when evil went through himself. So you're like, we launching this off the couch. Do it. <laughs> go, go fly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> very cool. Um, I round things out real quick by giving a shout out. There's so many others I could, I could, I can give shout outs to. But um, one thing I will say is that I have a real fondness for. Um, this is a very late edition, and these—I'm not even sure. This, this sort of stretches the, the the notion of what it exactly is an action figure, but um, Disney Infinity figures. Oh, those are great! I absolutely love these, and these were part the of a, actions of a, in the game. Well, yeah, so these were like a post Skylanders thing, where like you had, the, you had these big, you know, kind of sculpted figures, and they have a little digital base, and you put them on this little pedestal. And then you get to activate them inside the game. And Disney Infinity was kind of a fun, you know, game you played around. It wasn't all that great, but the characters reach a character you can unlock, and you know, you got the figure. Then you could play it inside the game. And my son Connor and I played it for a while, and it was it was a blast. But I just loved how the characters looked. I thought the figures themselves were sculpted really cool. I just love the art style. I thought they're really really neat. Um, and I remember, you know, it's one of the first. It's probably one of the only lines where when I realized the game wasn't going to make it and it was going to go away, I started going on buying every possible Disney Infinity figure I could find because I knew they'd be scarce and I didn't want to have to go through eBay and, and like pick them up afterwards. And so I've got, you know, I've got close to a complete collection of Disney Infinity and I, and they're just, they're there and I just, you know, even though I can't even play the game anymore, I just love looking at them, you know, and, and, and it's it's like I, I look at them and I, the adventures go off in my head. They work in that, in that way and I just, I just adore them. And, and, when the game ended and the figures went away, I remember some of the people who had been working on figures that didn't get released kind of showcase like what the ones that would have been released next would have looked like. Oh, it broke my heart. They showed what the Doctor, like the MCU version of Doctor Strange is going to look like. They showed what the Rogue One figures are going to look like. And I'm like, oh, you're killing me. Oh, <laughs> like these, man. I would have, I would have bought every single one. I mean, every single one I would have bought. You know, and and, and they could have gone back like. Part of me wishes that some rogue studio would just go like, okay, get the blanks for these and just figure out the style and just keep producing them for all other Disney IP. I'll buy every one. I promise you I will. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're just so cool. And I, I, just, I just adore them, you know? One last thing I'd be remiss. Pour one out for Playmobil. I'm sorry, oh, we mentioned like- Holy oh, moly, yeah. how did we forget Playmobil? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I played endless, endless Playmobil, oh. especially like the Knights. Yes. The best one. Stuff with my kids. Pirates. yeah. Oh, we played a ton. Knights of the Pirates. Yes, we played a ton of Playmobil. Oh, that was so much fun. They were absolutely and every fantastic. time I sat down to put together the Playmobil castle or the Playmobil ship, I marvel at the fact that we beat the Germans twice. And, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> they made nice cars. <laughs> they make great cars. Yeah, so, that's good. So, all right. Well. Before we wrap up, a final thought. 
Back when Facebook was just getting started, I got in touch with an old childhood friend with whom I had spent countless hours. You know, one of our favorite games together growing up is what we simply called Little Men, or whatever adventures we could cook up for the considerable collections of action figures that he and I shared. The various brands of the figures didn't matter. We just jumbled them all together and made up our own stories for, you know, who these characters were that day, what they were doing, and so on. And I think that had a lot to do with helping me form my imagination into what it is today. When I reconnected with this old buddy of mine, I was surprised to learn that he had really turned his back on all of the things we did as kids together. He didn't even remember them all that fondly. He simply said that he had, and I'll never forget this, he had, quote, decided to put away childish things, which was my first warning sign that he and I were not, in fact, going to rekindle the friendship that we once had. But more than that, his notion that all the trappings of childhood were something to definitively cut oneself free from, that struck me as deeply sad. You know, put away childish things. Like if I had done that, I never would have had them around for my kids in whom I have seen grow a sense of wonder and imagination that I would not dampen for anything in the world. I spent an awful lot of time playing with my kids, much as I did with my own childhood friends. And with my kids, whether you know we were playing with little people, play school galactic heroes, Polly Pockets, My Little Pony, Lego minifigures, it didn't matter. In my children's play, I have seen emerge their sense of humor their sense of character, their sense of story, their sense of happiness, their sense of right and wrong. And in the course of our play, they have seen mine as well. And how grateful I am for that. You know, play matters so much more than a lot of people realize. And whether we keep buying action figures to place on a shelf where we may smile when we see them, or whether we still get down on the floor to run them through imaginary adventures, they still do what they're meant for, to remind us that the worlds we live in and the worlds we imagine don't have to be quite so far apart. Our play is our inner self's dress rehearsal for how we will face the puzzles and problems of the wider world. Those challenges never end. So maybe the way we prepare for them shouldn't either. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, Joe, and Sean, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.